You may appreciate that, Miss um, Jamie. It's a blessing and a good reminder that uh, God ought to have first place in our heart, and that ought to be our passion. That ought to be our drive. And uh, appreciate that lovely song here this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes chapter number two this morning. Ecclesiastes and chapter number two. Uh, we've been in the book of Ecclesiastes now for two weeks and uh, excited about continuing this journey, uh, as we've called it, the journey under the sun, or kind of a more title we've given it to the world and back again. And uh, it's been a blessing, and I'm thankful to uh, have somebody like Solomon who made a lot of bad choices, and we can learn from his bad choices uh, instead of making them ourselves. Uh, that really is wisdom in a nutshell. Uh, you know, you don't have to lay your head down and get run over by a semi to know that's probably not a good idea. You let somebody else do that and tell you it's not a good idea if they live through it, right? Uh, so Solomon here tells us, hey, there's some things in life that are just not good. And that is in life when we go apart from life under God's authority to life in this world, live for this world, it really ends in disaster. And so Ecclesiastes chapter number 2, if you found your place there and you're able to, let's stand together to honor the reading of God's Word here this morning. Ecclesiastes in chapter number 2 and verse number 2. Excuse me, verse number 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse number 1. <clears throat> Solomon speaking here, he said, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, Yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. It's kind of this. He decided, I'm going to, get, uh, I'm going to drink, but I'm not going to get drunk, and I'm just going to retain my wisdom so I can see if there's really any fun in this stuff. That's what verse 3 basically says. Verse 4, I made me great works. I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kind of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold... All was 
vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit, here it is, the key phrase, under the sun. I'd like to preach to you this morning on this, the vanity of pleasure. May God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. And thank you for standing in honor of the Scriptures uh, here this morning. <clears throat> Do pleasures bring fulfillment in life? Now, we kind of already let the cat out of the bag because we titled the sermon, The Vanity of Pleasure. Uh, but just asking the question, do pleasures really bring fulfillment in life? Uh, there's actually a lot of things in this world that tell us you need this or your life is meaningless. Uh, if you don't believe that, uh, watch some commercials, right? You watch TV long enough and the commercial will come on and it'll let you know, hey, here's the latest and greatest and fanciest gizmo and product and, and thing that's out there, and you just have to have this. If you don't have this, you're really not living. Life just is meaningless unless you have this product. But I have the latest iPhone. No, that's six months old now. There's a new one, right? you got to have the latest and the greatest and the coolest and the most awesome thing. Our uh, children have become prey to this, especially the youngers. Uh, they'll watch their kid cartoons, you know, and... Commercial will come on, and it's got some new toy or some new gizmo that's out there that is the latest and the greatest and the best toy that's ever existed. At least if you watch the commercial, that's how they pedal it off, right? And so as they're going through the latest and the greatest and the fanciest, our kids' eyes, they just get bigger and bigger. And in their little minds, they're thinking this, my life has zero meaning unless I own that. They buy in hook, line, and sinker to the truth that's being presented on the screen, which says this, unless I have this, my life isn't worth living. Unless I have that new toy, my life has no value to it whatsoever. So that's a little dramatic. Have you seen how a four-year-old acts with that kind of stuff? You say, what's wrong with your room and the mountain of toys that abide therein? Those aren't good anymore. They're, they're, they just don't satisfy anymore. I have to have this new thing. And that right there ought to put a little bit of a light bulb on, shouldn't it? Amen. Yeah, a little kid starts to recognize that toy that they just had to have eventually becomes old hat. Actually, if you're honest with yourself, it becomes old hat pretty fast. Amen. And then the next new thing is desired, and then that becomes old, and the next new thing is desired, and then that becomes old, and the next new thing is desired. And I'm telling you, it seems like it's this never-ending cycle where they simply say this, eyes that are always looking for more and never satisfied. Eyes that are always hungry for meaning and purpose in a possession that will never, ever provide it. Now, it's one thing for a kid to watch a commercial and walk away saying, i got to have that toy. But we as adults do it too, don't we? Amen. Can I meddle a little bit? <laughs> it's going to happen. All right. Uh, ladies, I don't know where you're at this morning on your spiritual walk with the Lord, but uh, maybe it is that you're like you just have to have that purse. That's your vice here this morning. you got to have that purse. Maybe it's jewelry. Maybe you say, man, I just have to have that necklace or that bracelet or I really want this. Uh, maybe it has to do with a piece of technology. Maybe you are one who's like, man, I just really want the new phone and I want that new piece of technology. It looks so incredible. I just have to have it. Maybe it's that shiny new car. 
right? Maybe it's, you're just hoping that your husband is catching all the hints you're dropping, and you're going to wake up Christmas morning, and there's actually going to be one of those big bows, and it's not on your existing car. It's on a new car. Good idea for you husbands out there, right? I bought you a bow for Christmas. It's on top of your car. Uh, buy you a new car. Sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we're just big kids when it comes to possessions. Men, some of you guys have really been lusting after that new bass boat, haven't you? Mm, if I could just have that, that boat, man, that would, be, that would be it. That would be so fantastic. Some of you guys, you know when you were a kid, you went through and you did your wish list? Some of you men have a wish list, don't you? Yeah. And you've got that new saw on there, that, that new uh, tool bench, or that new set that they put out from Lowe's or Home Depot. Come on, if your mailbox has been like mine, it's getting flooded with all the advertisements for Christmas, right? Yeah, it's all coming in, and it is part of our culture. It's something that plays on our human nature that says this, what I have currently it, it, it doesn't satisfy anymore, so obviously this new thing will bring that satisfaction. Now, Solomon in our text doesn't just deal with possessions, and we're going to kind of dig into this. He expands on that about all these other areas where he tries to find satisfaction in things that bring a spike of joy, a, a momentary lift of uh, happiness because of pleasure. The endorphins get released because there's something enjoyable, something fun that happens there. He talks about drinking alcohol. He talks about buying things. He talks about accomplishing and building things. But his ultimate conclusion is the same as all the others, which is this. Utterly worthless when it's under the sun. Now, just by way of, of review, because we make sure we're all on the same page and we're moving in the same direction, and because if you're like me, I've slept since last week, okay? So, understanding that Solomon, he's older, up in years now, and obviously God imparted to him wisdom, came to him early on and said, Solomon, I'm going to give you something, what do you desire? And Solomon, in wisdom, said, God, give me wisdom to rule your people right. And God said, because you asked for this, I'm going to give you power and wealth and fame, and I'm going to give you all these other things also. Now Solomon, as it was the case with many godly people in the Bible, in their younger years they started out right and did good, but as he got older, he did dumb. He got away from the Lord and away from where God wanted him to be. Now again, just a side note here, a lot of times we put uh, young men on this plane of fault and failure, but biblically speaking, it was more old men that made mistakes than it was young men. So don't let your guard down as you get older thinking, I've arrived. Okay, that was a big trouble for David and for Solomon and for you name it, guys, in the Bible. And so here Solomon is and he's up in age and he's taken his life and he said, I'm going to depart from a life of wisdom and a life that's lived with passion for God and a life that's lived for the, the Son of God and for God Himself. I'm going to leave this life and I'm going to take a journey under the sun, S-U-N. Now, that phrase, under the sun, literally means this. Life in this world lived for this world. So Solomon basically is saying this. I'm going to do what I have been doing in life and I'm no longer going to be doing it for the good of others and the glory of God. Instead, I'm going to do it for me. And for my existence here on this earth, 
I'm going to quit living with internal value and eternal purpose, and I'm going to live with earthly and temporal and temporary value. So he has this total uh, mind shift, and he says, I'm going to try life this way and see if there's any value there. Well, what is the conclusion? Well, he gives us his thesis statement in chapter 1 which you, where he says this, vanity. Vanity, of course, is not that thing you sit in front of and do your makeup in the morning, ladies. Uh, in the Bible, vanity means this, empty, of no value. Uh, claiming to have substance, but only being of no substance. Of course, you use the illustration like a bubble machine. You got bubbles everywhere. Kid goes through and starts collecting all the bubbles, only to realize he's got a bucket of slime at the end of it. And so Solomon says this, everything in life that I tried under the sun, life lived apart from God, he says is this, it is utterly of no value. I felt like I was getting all kinds of stuff, only to realize I had nothing in the end. Zero value remained. Last week, we added this word in there. At the end of chapter 1, he says it's not only vanity, it's also vexation of spirit. Now, vexation of spirit, my son let me know I was picking on him too much, so you can stay seated, son, today, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, but vexation of spirit, last week we had Nate get up here, and it's kind of like uh, a younger sibling trying to hit his older sibling, but he's got his hand on his head, and you got that image there of them punching and kicking, and yet they're at arm's length, Right? And it's a desire to want something so bad, like putting forth the effort and their heart set on something more than it's set on anything and yet not being able to get it. It's the donkey who has the guy sitting on him with a carrot on the fishing pole. And no matter how many miles the donkey walks, the carrot's still the same distance away. That is vexation of spirit. As Solomon says here, all these things that he did, they were not only vanity, but here's the great deception. They promised something and when he thought he was almost going to get the carrot, it figured out it was the same distance away. He was always at arm's length away from what he really wanted. And he said, it's vexation. So last week, and, and don't miss this. This is so powerful. Last week, his thing was this. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. He, he was this. Wisdom apart from God it makes a life that is absolute vanity and vexation. And we, and we kind of drove it home on this. And I hope this week maybe has been a little different for you. But that there's probably people sitting in the pews here at Bible Baptist Church that come to church and, and maybe you're even involved in the ministry and, and you give your tithes and you're here every time the doors are open. But your prayer closet is as dry and dead as it's ever been. You have no personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and although you're doing the Christian duties of the Christian life, you know very little of an intimate and passionate relationship with Him. And Solomon says here, that type of lifestyle is absolute vanity. The lifestyle that has all the rules of wisdom without all the benefits of the relationship of walking with Jesus. It's an encouragement last week to do this. Hey, knock the cobwebs out of your prayer closet. Hey, get in the book, not just to read it, but to enjoy time with your Heavenly Father. If you've lost that passion with the Lord, put a CD in the CD player. Put on the MP3 player. Uh, sing from a hymnal. Do something to stir the coals of your heart. And the Bible says in the book of the Revelation, it wasn't that God had left, but that they had left their first love. God never moved, and if the passion has gone cold and dead and there's no life there anymore, stir the coals once again. Relight that fire and get on fire for the things of God once again. 
God doesn't like lukewarm things. Get in, get out. God wants you all in. He wants you on fire for Him. He wants you just not only to know the Bible, but to enjoy living the Bible. He wants you not only to know the Scriptures, He wants you to know intimately and passionately the God of the Scriptures. So there's vanity in wisdom even. So this week, Solomon goes on another journey under the sun, a life apart from God. I'm sorry for all those who are over on this side. You're just, you're just on that side, and that's just who you are. Life apart from the Lord and all the good people over here, right? Actually, that's backwards, isn't it? I'm saying it wrong. You are the good side. This is the bad side. Sorry. Sorry for you all. This is life under the sun. Right? Life lived apart from God and life lived on this earth for this earth. And so the journey that he takes this week is this. Life lived in pursuit of pleasure. Life lived in pursuit of that next high. Just that one quick endorphin released, enjoyable thing, whether that's buying something, drinking something, shooting something up, building something, or in having some type of quick endorphin release. He says those pleasures, that mirth, that laughter... It's short-lived in this life under the sun, and in the end, it is vanity and vexation. So let's take a look at what Solomon has to say here in Ecclesiastes in chapter number 2. Now he says this in verse number 1. He says he communes with himself, uh, self-talk, if you will. Solomon begins to commune with his own heart, and he begins to think, what, where else could I look? Wisdom didn't provide life of uh, fulfillment apart from God. So maybe life of pleasure will. And so as he communes with his heart, he gives himself over to this thing called mirth. Mirth, of course, is joy and gladness, having a good time. Uh, again, if you view it this way, mirth is that quick burst of endorphin release. It's that enjoyable thing for a moment, that pleasure that we enjoy. View it that way. So in verse number two, he gives an example of one of these, laughter. Now, I'm thankful for laughter. If you had not laughed in a while, you need to. The Bible says laughter doeth good like a medicine. It, 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 it is so beneficial and it can be healthy for you to laugh and to get around somebody who's having a good time and just laugh and lets off some pressure in doing that. But notice this, laughter under the sun is actually a poison that gives momentary pleasure but then causes deep hurt in the long run. We'll expound on that in just a moment. Verse number three talks about this, wine. So, of course, Solomon here is talking about an alcoholic beverage, and he's talking about going out and having a good time by drinking, not getting drunk. He says he retains his wisdom in this process. He doesn't lose himself. He retains his wisdom, and he tries to find joy and pleasure in alcohol. You know, a few years ago, one of the slogans of one of the beer companies was this, the sign of a good time. And our world still peddles that same idea, don't they? That if you want to have an enjoyable and pleasurable time, it's tied up in alcohol. That is really where it's ultimately at. Now Solomon says that he holds his own wisdom as he partakes in this foolish act of drinking. He wants to be able to observe the people around him and himself. Is this really pleasurable under the sun? In verses 4 through 6, after Solomon's wine drinking... He moves on to a more constructive form of uh, pleasure. He builds stuff. He talks about planting a garden. He talks about building a pool. He talks about planting trees. He talks about building a house. He has all these things that he goes out and does. And, and honestly, uh, if 
if that's your cup of tea, it might not be. Uh, but there's something about the value of a job well done. It really is, man. We're, we're almost done with these classrooms back here. Yeah, right. Praise the Lord, right? We're almost there. I appreciate all the men and ladies who have invested their time and talent in all of that. Uh, but there's something about getting done and it being finished and it looking nice. And, you know, if you got your home and you do some type of home improvement, whether it's minor or major, when you get done, just that satisfaction of a job well done. Come on now. There, there is a sense of pleasure when you do work and then you see it accomplished. Amen. Man, I tell you, when it's springtime and the grass starts growing real good and looking nice and you go out there and you, you finish mow that thing out and get all the edges trimmed and weed-eated and you've been working all morning on it, it's all blown and, and trimmed out and cut and it looks nice and you sit down and get a nice glass of lemonade or iced tea or something you sit down and you look at that lawn that you cut. Come on now, that is pleasurable. Amen. There's something pleasurable about accomplishing something like that. Uh, building something and then looking back and saying, look what my hands have built. Right? Accomplishing something. Uh, ladies, maybe sewing something or putting together some craft or even you building something, you know. Uh, it, there obviously is value, and you might say this, there's pleasure in that. And so Solomon recognized that as well. But he said, ultimately, it was vanity, vanity. So verses 7 through 10, uh, he then goes on after building things, after wine, after all of these, and he goes into possessions. Maybe a thing that's really heavily emphasized even in this text and in the sermon, we've talked about this. So Solomon says he goes out and he gets a bunch of servants and he starts getting a bunch of gold and silver and he gets all this stuff. He starts accumulating things. We well, say, well, how much stuff did he start accumulating? Well, I'll just give you this. From 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 22 and 23, it says this. It tells us how much it took to feed all the people that were in Solomon's like household. Here you go. 1 Kings 4, 22-23 says this, And Solomon's provision for one day was 30 measures of fine flour. And you say, well, that blesses my soul. Because everyone knows what a measure is in the Bible. Okay, 30 measures of fine flour was about 1,500 gallons of flour. That's a little bit more perspective of what we can fathom and think about. Could you imagine the delivery guy? making a daily delivery of flour for Solomon. All these 50-pound bags he's chucking up there. That's a lot of flour. But he doesn't just stop there. That's actually kind of the lower end of things because then he says three score measures of meal. So he's got 30 measures of flour, and then he doubles that for meal. So cornmeal or any type of meal that you think about with that, he's got uh, 3,000 gallons of that, just absolutely mind-boggling. Notice this, 10 fat oxen, 20 oxen out of the pasture, 100 sheep, besides hearts, roebucks, fallow deer, uh, and the fatted fowl. It's almost like he's like, I don't even know how many of those we eat. Now, this is one day of provisions. The Jewish scholars would say this, Solomon, they believe, in his court of servants and those that were involved, was 60,000 people. So when he says that he went out and he got uh, men servants and maid servants, you almost just glaze over that in Ecclesiastes 2. Until you start reading other portions of Scripture and you go this, uh, he went a little overboard on this. Could you imagine going and hide, hiring one person to work for you? Like one cleaning lady to work at your house. That will bring me immense pleasure. 
So every lady in the house said, amen, right? <laughs> Bring me a mince pleasure to have somebody else clean this house and then somebody else to cook, right? Somebody else to take care of the kids. And you just talk about three or four servants there. We think, man, our life would be so... 60,000! What are they even doing? I don't know. Tending to all the stuff he apparently just built. But here Solomon's just like, I think this is a good number. And, and then he goes through and starts listing off the other possessions he has. He talks about his gold and silver. It is estimated at this time that Solomon, per capita, around the entire globe at this particular juncture in history, was the wealthiest man alive. So whatever you think about the wealthiest person that's alive right now, that was Solomon at this juncture. When he says he went and got gold and silver, he was serious. He's like, I got some value to me. I've got these servants. He then talks about that he had a value in livestock. Obviously very valuable there. I'm telling you this, if he's killing that many animals every day to feed his household, you better believe he's got some livestock mm -hmm. and some land that it's grazing on. And so Solomon, as he goes through this whole big list of all these possessions, he says, if my heart wanted something, I didn't withhold it. So if the commercial came on for three easy payments of $60, then he bought it. That's where Solomon's at at this moment. He goes, yeah, I need that. Yeah, I want that. Give me 10 of them, right? I mean, Solomon withheld no dainties, no pleasure, no enjoyable things from his life. And so he obviously has this idea of possessions that if he got something, it was enjoyable. He mentions getting singers. Music can be enjoyable. I'm thankful God gave us music. Life would be pretty boring without music. Amen. Solomon says that he got the best singers. Lady singers, mid singers, put together a beautiful choir. It's like his private choir singing for him. Beautiful singers, the best money could buy just to get that little bit of pleasure. Ultimately, it all boils down to this, as he tells us in verse number 11 there, that he went out and everything that he did, his labor, the alcohol, everything, he was trying to get that one dose of mirth, that little bit of joy and enjoyment. But in conclusion, he said this, it's all empty. There's no value to it. It's vanity. No, let that sink in because here's a guy who had the ability to get it all and have it all, and he did, and he still said this, at the end of that road, it was still empty. Most of us will never have that opportunity to get to the end of the road of expending that much money and having that much opportunity and that much pleasure. But Solomon did, and he tells us this, it's, in the end, it was empty. I felt like I was getting so much stuff, but in the end, you know what it was? It was vexation. I kept saying, one more, one more, a little bit more, one more step, just a little bit more pleasure, and then I'll be satisfied. But satisfaction never came in any form of pleasure. It was all empty. It was all vanity. And here's the reason why. The last three words that he mentions in verse number 11 is because it was under the sun. It was life that was totally apart from God. So laughter and mirth and pleasure all had zero value. It was all absolute vanity. You know, I think this is probably one area that people struggle with more than anything else in their life. When you talk about vanity. So why do people leave life live for God to live a life for this world in this world? Well, a lot of it has to do with pleasure. Pleasure of sin is enjoyable for a season. And some things that aren't even sinful are enjoyable for a little bit, 
But a life lived apart from God, they eventually have no value, vanity. So he mentions there about laughter. Laughter is so good. Oh, it's so wonderful. Uh, you ought to laugh. You ought to get together with other believers and laugh. It do it good like a medicine. You need to do that. Absolutely. But laughter under the sun is not of great value. I know people who go out and they'll spend time with friends and they'll have a great time with other people and they laugh and they have so much fun. But as soon as the lights go out and as soon as all the mirth is over with and they're alone to their own thinking and thoughts, there's this dull emptiness. It's almost like there's no value there. You ever felt that before? I think that's a big reason why people keep the noise up. Because when it gets quiet, they realize, my life really is empty. There's a lot of laughter, but when they allow it to get quiet, they realize all that laughter is just a facade that's covering up this true emptiness inside of their heart. He then mentions, of course, alcohol in verse number 3 there. Boy, we could spend a whole big chunk of message here on this. You know what? I, I'm never drinking alcohol. I'm thankful I was raised in a Christian home, and, and it's never been a temptation for me. I know for many, it, there's been victory that's been gained over that, and it's been a part of your past. And praise the Lord, it no longer is a part of your present. But, but I understand this, that alcohol can be pleasurable. Otherwise, people wouldn't drink it, right? There's an appeal there, whether it's an, a social appeal to feel like you connect and you belong, or whether it's because you get a high off of it or enjoy it. Whatever the case might be, people drink it because they bought into the slogan that says it's the sign of a good time, that you're drinking this alcoholic beverage. But listen, on the flip side of that, on the other side of it, I can honestly say this. Have you ever found anything positive that has come about because of alcohol? If we're honest with ourselves, we would have to dogmatically say absolutely and emphatically no. And I'm not naive enough to think that nobody in this church this morning is having some struggle or difficulty with that. And can I tell you from the Word of God, here's what Solomon did. He says, I'm going to try this thing called alcohol. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm just going to try this thing called alcohol. And you know what his conclusion was? It's vanity. It's vexation. There's no value there. There's no benefit there. And I think if we take it to the extreme of what it can do, boy, there's all kinds of negative consequences, aren't there? Amen. Boy, drunkenness Amen. and what it does to families and DWIs and hangovers. And the list can go on and on. Actually, there's great danger in the book of Proverbs. Solomon would even talk about it this way, that those that are drunkards, they get drunk and they wake up in the stupor of their drunkenness and say, what have I done with my life? Only to go and pursue it again, which shows this, the addictive nature of it, the constant pursuit of it. I tell you this morning, Solomon tried it and he said this, there's, no, there's nothing of value in that. Can I encourage you this morning? If, if that's you this morning, there's nothing of value there. Leave it. There's nothing of value there. So then in verses uh, 4 through 6, he talks about uh, building things. That's awesome. That's cool. Accomplishments. Uh, some people here are probably maybe trying to progress and develop in your career. Maybe trying to get to the next level. Uh, maybe you're building something. Maybe you're buying a house, buying a car. Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if they're under the sun, life in this world, for this world, and that really has become the pursuit of your life, the end result of that is ultimate vanity. And here's a big one. What about possessions? Just stuff. I mean, I mean, you can watch all the infomercials you want, and some of those might not appeal to you, but maybe it is that new house or that new car 
or that fancy gizmo or the new phone or the new purse or uh, the new bass boat. Those things appeal to you and you're thinking, man, I I tell you what, if I could just get that thing, man, my life would feel so much more full. Right now I'm driving this beater of a car and I'm living in this smaller house. If I could just have the bigger house and, and a nicer car, if I could just have those two things, my life would be fulfilled. If that's what you're holding out to be fulfilled, you'll get those things and still be empty. Because no amount of possessions will ever satisfy. Solomon, who had it all, spent it all, and got every bit of mirth endorphin release that he got, he came to this conclusion. He said, that type of stuff under the sun is of absolute no value. So where do we need to be? Well, again, we need to leave life under the S-U-N sun and live life under the S-O-N sun of Jesus Christ. Because pretty much most of the stuff that Solomon mentioned, obviously not all of it, the alcohol and things, there's no redeeming qualities there. But some of the stuff that Solomon was doing, if it was done with this purpose, the good of others for the glory of God, there would be value there. Absolute value there. Mm -hmm. But because it was life under the sun, it had no value. Can I encourage you this morning? Laugh. Laugh hard. And laugh heartily, but do it under God. Do it for the purposes of God. I tell you what, uh, I've said this many times, and I believe it to be true. I have more fun asleep than people who are unsaved have at all the parties and raves and you name it that they go to. I, I genuinely believe that with all my heart. Why? Because I've been around some of that stuff before. As a saved individual, you get invited something, you show up, and maybe they're drinking alcohol or they're doing something. And you know what? You start to look at that and you go, wow, there's no joy here. Just, there's nothing there. And then, I tell you what, I come up here to Bible Baptist Church. We have a game night or a work day. Even a work day. Even a work day. And we're up here and people are jabbing at each other and messing around with each other and just having a good time. And we walk away and say this, laughter is so good when it's done for the good of others and the glory of God. Man, that's value there. Absolutely there's value there. What about building things, constructing things? There's value there. Building a company, uh, um, uh, building a house, uh, helping somebody out, developing something, some type of software. Building things and developing things are a good thing, but with the right mentality and heart. God, help me use this business. God, help me use this talent. God, help me use this thing that I built for the good of others and for the glory of God. It's a totally different perspective than for selfish gain and for satisfaction out of it. Uh, What about possessions? Well, I tell you what, if our heart position would change from desire in possessions to desire in God, I'm telling you, you'd have a huge revolutionary world shift in your brain. See, what are you talking about, preacher? What is that all about? Well, if you would quit being in pursuit of that item, and that's going to be fulfillment, and instead you say this, I am content with what God has given me. And if God blesses me with more, then I'm going to be happy about that. But that's not where my satisfaction rests. My satisfaction is this. I want more of Jesus. I want more of His Word. I want to know more about Him. I want to be more close to Him. I want to be more of a blessing to others. I want to be more of what God's called me to be. I want to lead people to Christ I I, I want to make an eternal investment in people's life. I'm telling you, when you start to prioritize those things, a game changer. Game changer. Absolutely. Why? Because they have substance. They have value. 
It's not a bunch of bubbles that you grab and slam into a bag only to realize at the end of your life or some years later, I've wasted my time, my talent, my treasure on things that have absolutely no value. But instead you can say this, I have sacrificed, I have given, I have poured out myself in service to others for the glory of God. And I'll say this, it was worth it. Amen. There's substance and there's value there. So here's the thing this morning. There is no joy, there's no lasting substance. It's vain to put your hope in pleasure. But you will never go wrong putting your desire in God. Setting your hope on Him, He will never, ever, ever disappoint. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here this morning. Father, I pray that you will bless. Uh, Lord, we, we believe in our heart and mind. Lord, it's better for us to have possession of Christ than it is to possession of things. God, we believe you don't want us to be filled with alcohol. As Ephesians 5 would say, you want us to be filled with the Spirit. Lord, I believe that you want to work in hearts and lives this morning. Help people submit to your word. And Lord, may they have hot pursuit of you. Father, bless this invitation. We ask you to have the preeminence. It's in your name we do pray.